welcome to 360 Conversations. This is a podcast featuring powerful conversations with business and well-being thought leaders, experts and founders. We will be digging deep while sharing experience, insights and tips for busy Generation X women seeking ways to strip back, simplify, live intentionally and create space for everyday joy. I'm your host, Tamu Thomas, founder of The 360 Brand. I'm a life coach, speaker, writer, and podcaster too. I am passionate. In fact, I believe that it is my divine assignment to help Generation X women connect with their inner leader, the leader that resides in their emotions, buried by logic and the desire to be good. Logic and being good according to someone else's standards is okay for surviving, but round here, we are in the business of thriving. I use my background in social work, life coach training, and my superpower of loving kindness to help women connect to who they really are so they can expand into themselves fully, embrace their leadership qualities, and relinquish the chaos that exists within the duality of who we are and who we think we should be. My intention for this podcast is to plant seeds and create aha moments that bring you closer to your centre so that you can start to embrace your 360 degrees wholeheartedly. Hello, welcome to another episode of 360 Conversations. Ah. I have got a really powerful podcast episode for you guys today. I was joined by Michelle Moore. Michelle is a international speaker, she's a leadership consultant and she is an executive coach. She is also an activist. She are ah, I feel so light elated and powerful after spending an hour in Michelle's company. Michelle has worked for brands, well-known brands that we know, such as the London Mayor's Office, Sport England, the BBC, UNICEF, um, all sorts, all sorts. And um, she is known to light up a room when she walks in. And I can totally see why. I haven't met Michelle in person before. My first time actually having a conversation with her was today via the screen. But there was something about her online presence where I thought, you are one of my people. We had a really enriching, powerful conversation. We talked about conscious leadership. We talked about her identity, being a woman of mixed Guyanese heritage and how the sacrifice and the investment her paternal grandmother made coming to England on her own with two children in the 50s to make a new life for herself, um, being a woman of service, working for the NHS. Michelle talked about how powerful that was for her and talks about feeling like she owes it to her ancestry to rinse out every opportunity she can from this lifetime. 
And when Michelle talks about this, it's from a very empowered way. She's not talking about depleting herself. She is talking about making sure that she is resourced so that she can be resilient, so that she has the capacity to show up as big and powerfully as she feels called to in this world. And my goodness, does this woman have big infectious energy. We talked about or Michelle shared wisdom about her athletic background and how learning to lose continuously taught her how to show up and make winning be a bonus rather than the ultimate goal. Michelle's um, ideals, her philosophy, her way of being means that she is able to show up for this adventure of life and really enjoy the journey. And as she was talking, I got a real sense that this attitude enables her to take up space without overthinking and claiming what's hers. She referred to useful resources that I will list in the show notes. She talked about her work around equity and around anti-racism, the difference between anti-racism and inclusion and diversity. She talked about coaching people powerfully, supporting people to show up as they are and get results. Man, Michelle Moore, I am in awe of you. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. This is an hour of pure potency. I hope that you enjoy this podcast episode as much as I did. Oh, I just feel charged up and ready to boom. I hope you guys do too. Okay, take care. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to another episode of 360 Conversations. I'm really grateful that you're here. I really am appreciative of your time. Um, I know that even though we're in the midst of a pandemic, and I know that you may not be listening to this during a pandemic, but I know that even though we're in the midst of a pandemic, we are still uh, battling with time. Um, So I I appreciate you is what I'm saying. Uh, Today, I am joined by Michelle Moore. You would have heard me gushing about her in the intro. So uh, without further ado, Michelle, welcome. How are you? I'm okay. I'm not too bad today. It's lovely to see Tamu through my screen. So, I know, you too. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about our conversation. Me too. And before, see, I'm going off piste already, but before I ask Michelle to introduce herself and tell us who she is and what she does, I just want to read something that I gleaned, gleaned from uh, Michelle's um, showreel on her website. So I was watching Michelle talking so passionately and she said, my contribution is to ensure that I rinse everything I can out of this lifetime. I owe it to my ancestry. Let's just, let's just take a moment for that. Michelle, when I heard that, I was like, this is this. It spoke to me on so many levels. When you spoke, it didn't sound like servitude, like you owe it. It was just like I am honouring my ancestry by rinsing out that I received as living my life 
to the full. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's all about my gran. That's about my gran who came here in the 50s on a boat um, with two kids. One of those was my dad, who was three. Um, she came from Guyana. She led the way, pioneered the way for my family. And she did all kinds of jobs uh, in the service industry and ended up as a nurse. And so she gave back throughout her whole life and made so many sacrifices for myself and my twin sister. And so she is my role model and Mm. she is the reason why I do the work that I do in lots of ways uh, to give back, but also just to remember that she sacrificed and toiled for me to have every opportunity available to me to enable me to shine and then enable those in my community to shine as well. So that idea of serving others and being a part of a collective has always been a part of me. And she was incredibly inspirational when she was alive. And even in her death, I carry her with with her in my heart. Mm. So I, I talk about her a lot as my inspiration. And when I do my talks, I actually have a picture of all of my grandparents up um young people people in the business world corporate world love it it's a picture of my white grandparents on one side and my black grandparents on another side and um, my grandparents on my mum's side they were in the service industry they 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 fell in love my granddad and grandma fell in love um my granddad was a butler my gran was the uh, was a the cook um and they were a, a life of, of serving as well and literally on my 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 dad's side that you know they my gran came here before my granddad so she she was the pioneering oh, wow woman. yeah so she was the pioneering woman in our family and so that just resonates with me on so many levels and and she's just a, a huge inspiration and, and legacy in in lots and lots of ways so i owe it as i'm talking to you i'm looking at her picture i owe it to her and when i say rinse i mean absolutely take every opportunity that comes to me but also live into that you know really own that power because as women it's so gendered that we we should play small somehow and we shouldn't be as big as we can be but the fact is i am six foot two i am a woman of color um and so therefore i live into that every day all day i try and be in that that space of giving back but also in that space of being as big as possible because i know that that enables other people and a lot of my mentees to shine as well so that was a long answer to, to uh, um, you know, your short observation, really. Yeah. So that's what I meant about rinsing every opportunity. I am here for it. And I'm going to stick a pin in that and we're going to come straight back to it. Um, this big thing, this big thing is big for me and it's big for my community. So we're going to come straight back to that and then into the rest of it. But before we go into the bigness, Michelle, for those of my listeners that haven't come across you before, please, could you tell us a bit about yourself, what you do and why you do it? So I am a consultant, a leadership consultant. I'm an international speaker and I'm a mentor and a coach. So I kind of have a a career portfolio and Mm -hmm. my work is all about trying to make a positive change in the world. But it's based on my passions of sport, education, 
leadership and equity. And so it's, it's really about redressing inequalities in all the different ways in which I do that. I also kind of run events or projects that are aligned to those passions too. So one week I can be coaching uh, women around issues to do with how to navigate the intersectional oppressions that they're experiencing to working with a CEO on a particular change management program or developing um, and producing my own public seminars around the leadership within. So self-leadership, how can we get more of you out in the world in terms of Michelle Moore? And so I do a lot of that kind of work that is in response to what my community's needs are. Um, and as a speaker, I get asked to speak around resilience, success, um, and everything that goes with, um, you know, leadership, ethical and conscious leadership as well. And so I can be working for an international sports federation like the International Paralympic Committee to the mayor's office and doing work around how we use sport to socially integrate communities. And at the heart of all of that, I'm, I'm an educator. My first job was a teacher and um, I then ended up working in premiership football doing lots of community development work after that then worked in a secondary school which was a sports college became an assistant head teacher and then worked in local government for the local council doing all kinds of different roles and I started my consultancy journey back in 2011 so it was very small um, to begin with and then eventually I went part-time in my local government role and then eventually over the last three years I've been doing it full-time so yeah so that's what uh, you know that's where I am today Mm -hmm. and I just want to highlight something please note at the end Michelle talks about working part-time as a consultant and building it over period of time to having a full-time consultancy where she's working like a boss for the <laughs> mayor of London and hosting her own things and I say that because something that comes up quite often is sneaky comparison where people compare their day one to somebody else's year three year 10 or whatever the case may be Michelle grew into what she is doing now and speaking of growing into I want to go into this concept of being as big as possible people that are connected with me on instagram may have observed that i was talking about uh my relationship with ursula the sea witch ursula the sea witch from the cartoon the little mermaid because i feared my bigness because of messaging i had received in early years and as a teenager and as a young adult so I tiptoed around my bigness like it was an issue and somebody highlighted to me what a boss um, Ursula is um, and I was edging closer to Ursula but I didn't really know how to integrate um, so I talk about shadow work and illuminating the shadow. I didn't quite know how to illuminate this shadow. And somebody reflected to me how powerful Ursula, the character, is and that she owns herself. She knows her underworld and her overworld. She knows what she's about and she knows what people think about her and she does what she's doing anyway. And that was like, bing, a light bulb that came at the right time. So I was able to absorb that and I have befriended um, Ursula. She is part of me and I do feel like I'm growing into myself. Uh, but that's at, you know, nearly 43. Michelle, where did you, where did this concept of you taking up space and being as big as possible, where did that come from? 
Well, I'm a, a former athlete, so that, that concept of winning has always been with me. And thanks for sharing that story, Tammy, because it just so clearly demonstrates to me how the journey that we're all on in terms of finding ourselves. And for me as a sportswoman, it was always, I was training to get a result so that I could win the races at the weekend for every time I was competing. And so what my sport taught me is it taught me how to lose continually mm -hmm. and I still I still had to show up week in week out for training even if I lost at the weekend and when I won it was a bonus and so there's no hiding you have to turn up you have to be as the best that you can be in that space to be the winner on the day and in in lots of ways understanding that the losing is a part of that journey and for for me it was always about understanding that that was going to be a part of this whole piece and so my sport taught me about the power of resilience it taught me about coming back again and therefore there was no there was there's no there's no real prize for second place in 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 running right there is but you don't want to become come second mm -hmm. what i learned along the way is that it was the journey it was the experience it was the things that I went through in my training, the kinds of things that sport taught me about life that translated into my professional career and my goals and the things that I achieved professionally were set up by my sport. So, you know, in every single job that I've had, I've um, over-delivered in every single role. I've been promoted early because of, because of that very, very fact. And that's because I was always kind of judging myself on something that was actually outside was an external parameter it's like um it's called eliism and i was talking about it to with one of my clients recently um where you talk about yourself in the third person so it was like yeah my legs my super long legs are going to win this race for me mm, and mm -hmm. when you distance yourself from it it creates this space where you can regulate your emotions better um and i was talking to just a client just exactly like what you were saying in that story where she was quite introverted and I was getting her to talk about, uh, to step into a different persona because she felt very uncomfortable being as big as she could be. For me, it's actually quite easy. I'm six foot two. So I'm like, physically, it helps me in that way. But mm -hmm. for her, she found it really hard. And I talked about an athlete that I knew very well, very well, who was very soft and very kind of such a lovely person, but didn't have this kind of mental toughness that mm -hmm. she needed. And she stepped into, she created this alter ego and she stepped into this alter ego and became this dynamic, go getting really assertive um, athlete uh, because of how she was started to talk to herself and how she lived into this different persona. And so I think there's something about understanding who we are, where we come from and my history of sport and how that's translated into the work that I do and that has enabled me to feel bigger and bigger in all of my mm -hmm. roles because mm -hmm. I've had lots and lots of autonomy in the jobs that I've had to be able to create change. And the bigger that I became in my own head, the more impact that I actually had because I was enabled, enabling so many others in my communities to come with me. Mic drop all over the place. Mic drop, <laughs> mic drop, mic drop. I am watching Michelle and she is illuminated. You can just see the passion just, just pouring out. And I say that because you talked about, um, oh gosh, I can't remember. I was drinking it all in. My body knows exactly what you said and my brain is scrabbling around trying to pick up pieces. But you talked about 
initially talked about learning to lose and learning to lose continuously taught you how to show up and winning was the bonus. Boom. And then you talked about something. Oh, you talked about working hard and um, uh, overperforming or something of that, that yeah. nature. Yeah. And I just want to I want to pick that up because a lot of the people I'm just making that like I've got a cue out of the window that, that soon will come but people that I work with people in my membership community people in my social community social media community something that they literally fear is the concept of overworking because the over the branch of overworking they're talking about is the depletion and the people-pleasing branch of mm. overworking yeah and when they're talking about it, their body language is they're like they're sunken into themselves. Mm. They're, they're quite flat or they're very um, angry in their, um, in their presentation. Yeah. When you're talking, I'm just seeing like, you know, on a cloudy day when the um, clouds part and then the sun shines resplendently. And I have these moments and I'm like, wow, look at God. That's what Michelle looked like. So I just want to be clear. Yeah. So what I was talking about then is, is I wasn't fulfilled in some of the roles that I've had in mm -hmm. my work life. And so therefore I made a very conscious choice to do everything that my managers and bosses needed, right. Mm -hmm. Which was actually well within my abilities and then create the space to do the work that I wanted to do. So that for me was a strategic decision that I was able to come to a little bit later in life, maybe in my thirties, because I'd got to a point of, of, of success, you know, quite early on. My sports mindset was very used to, to kind of overperforming. And so therefore there's a lot of research by McKinsey that says a lot of um, sportswomen actually, and people that have done sport are, are kind of overachievers. And so I was in these roles that enabled, that had autonomy to them, that mm -hmm. enabled me to, to kind of do everything that my bosses needed and then come up with creative ideas. So I, you know, I was working in a school and I wanted to develop a project that was called Active Families to get families in using the gym in the evening with a personal trainer, mm -hmm. looking at their holistic needs. I wanted to do all the work around the Olympic Games and for London's 2012 in Greenwich wasn't a part of my job but I created a whole amazing exciting program that looked at mobilizing the schools and working on the kind of Olympic and Paralympic values and I put a proposition to my boss but the only reason why he she went for it is because I was doing everything else really quite well mm -hmm. um, and so I enabled myself to be able to kind of then do work that was my was more passion focused um so i i, I kind of did the work that i wasn't that excited about and i just mm -hmm. got that out of the way so there was a you know it was about me strategically looking at what was going to make make me more happy and feel more fulfilled i don't want to put words into your mouth but as i'm listening to you what i'm sensing is that you were able to do that because you had the capacity to do that you weren't doing it from the um, minus you were doing it because yes. you actually yeah. built had the yeah. capacity and that yeah. makes all like you were doing it from a place of regulation yeah 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 and I was doing it from a place where 
I was good at what I was doing. And so my bosses trusted me to kind of, okay, mm-hmm. she's, she's, she's shown up on these things. She's delivered on that. And therefore she can, we can, uh, you know, enable her to do this. But, you know, really interestingly, it got, I got to a point in my career where when I was working for the, the council, I became quite disillusioned with it and just decided that, you know, I, I've just become a very successful troubleshooter. Like I, I, you know, I was being rewarded. My good work was being rewarded with problems. Like mm-hmm. now, Michelle, we want you to sort out this dysfunctional team. Now we want you to go over here and do that. And I'm like, that's got nothing to do with my skill set. Like in my head, I was like, what's going on here? Um, but every single negative, if you like, actually, and that it has added to the work that I do now because I'm yeah. kind of like a, this massive generalist and I learned so much on that journey but at the same time I read a book called um, Half Time and this book talked about percentage effort and this idea that if you've been doing a job for over 10 years you should be successful at it mm-hmm. and I was like <clears throat> yeah well I've been doing this job I'm successful at it and actually you can you know reframe how you see your your efforts and readjust your your kind of percentages and so what I did was I then decided that I was going to start my consultancy and my effort was going to go into my consultancy so I turned down it was like a miracle it was like one of those Oprah aha moments so Mm -hmm. I turned down my 110% that I was doing for my council work and then turned that right down I turned it right down to like 20% was good enough mm-hmm. it was good enough I was still mm-hmm. showing up nobody could tell that mm-hmm. and I put all of that rest of that effort into my consultancy I mean I was a bit crazy one of the things that I did is I woke up earlier and worked on my work first and foremost and that yep. subtle change of just putting my consultancy work first in the the day was just huge and I was just there was something quite sacred about those moments Mm -hmm. where I was working then I would go to the my council job and do that and then I'd be developing my consultancy and doing my consulting work in the evenings at the weekends and I did that for a period of time until I went down to Mm part-time and it gave me I mean people thought that I was a full-time consultant I won awards working like that you know so but I, I had to do lots of well-being and stuff in the midst of all yeah. of that as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's like this idea of we have to put 110% into our jobs. Actually, if we are passionate about lots of things, we can adjust those percentage efforts. So much, so much, so much. I really, really appreciate that. I appreciate that on the level that there's this thing where people are like really anti working hard and I think it's because we conflate working hard with um, burnout and depletion um, and I think that there is a stage in your business where you do have to work hard and you do have to graft because you're getting something off the ground um, I refer to nature all the time and there's a time-lapse video on YouTube that I watch quite often because at a moment where I thought I was really stuck that video gave me a lot of guidance and the amount of work that the plant does in the the seed does in the germination phase for the roots to be able to cascade out of the the husk of the seed and to have the strength necessary to not only 
push through out of the husk but also to get above the soil there's a lot of work that takes place in that process and when you talked about doing the well-being stuff if we're looking after ourselves we build the capacity to be able to do that that work um and you said something else um but I can't remember. Again, it's something that's going to come to me. I'll be really honest with you guys. Michelle, you're making me feel really, really like somebody has just charged my battery a bit. And I just, I want to shut down my computer and I just want to go off and continue working. I'm developing some online courses. You've just sparked so much in this 20 minutes of conversation. So I'm hoping that people listening are going to feel really powered up as well. But rather than go on an indulgent tangent, because you yeah. spark so much, I want to come into the work that you are doing here and now. Um, you do work around conscious leadership. That's right. What does that mean? Well, conscious leadership is all about how we lead ourselves and lead organisations and teams with real authenticity and integrity and we hold ourselves accountable to that mm-hmm. so it's about understanding and not acknowledging your own truths um, and vulnerabilities and understanding the power within that but also at the same time the opportunity that that gives you to stand in somebody else's shoes so when you are working for a conscious leader you know it you feel it you understand that they have got your best interest at heart, that they understand the collective nature of leadership, that we're all leaders, that we all have those self-leadership um, t- drives in us as, as mothers, as friends, as, as people within the workforce. We, are, we all have that within us. And so I think that we need to move away from the old paradigm of, of traditional leadership that you can see being played out in our government to uh, very much so this idea that we are a collective, Angela Davis, a civil rights activist and warrior, real role model of mine, talks about how we need to be more leaderful and create teams where people are leaderful because they understand the collective nature of what leadership actually means. Mm-hmm. So uh, interesting because th- there are so many people really grapple with this idea of leadership because what we have seen in terms of leadership has been very oppressive. And I think it's, I really love the concept of conscious leadership because it gives you the opportunity to define leadership for yourself in a way that is really empowering rather than a top down, really authoritative approach. Um, What is it like for you working in that conscious leadership space, holding space for people to step into conscious leadership? And the reason I ask is because a lot of us are uh, sleepwalking. We are not awakened. And part of that awakening that allows us to be conscious includes addressing or acknowledging parts of ourselves we usually suppress or hide because we don't really like them and it can be very triggering um so i'm thinking about coaching relationships where i've literally seen somebody go from looking like sunshine to looking like thunder because they've been really deeply triggered and 
quite often it's very nuanced so they can't even pinpoint where that comes from what is it like for you working in that space and supporting people to work through the resistance that comes up when you've poked a vulnerable area it's such a great question tamu so i'm really enjoying this conversation but i you know i think it's really clear i'm very clear about what i offer and i offer kind of coaching and mentoring and like my more pep all in one and it's very much based on who i am as an individual in a way that this is my frame of reference in terms of understanding how I work and my self-awareness and I have all these different kind of experiences within my life and I use those and my sporting mindset to help my clients and I'm really I really acknowledge really clearly with them and contract out the very beginning that this is non-clinical that my job is to offer as much power to have a deep powerful conversation with you and move you to action and to and, and in that move into action and getting people to, to action, acknowledging what their frailties and vulnerabilities are, helping them with that, but parking some of that for a more clinical kind of uh, support, what they may or may not need. Mm-hmm. My job is really to support them in understanding their vulnerabilities and understanding that there was power in that. You know, I just had a really powerful conversation with actually a friend of mine who I'd been doing some coaching with, and she's had a diagnosis for something. And she was in a space where she was really, you know, very down about this. And I talked about the power in understanding the issues and how it makes sense and some of the the journey that she's been on in her life and why she wasn't able to be successful at this particular role that she really wanted to be because of some of her innate characteristics and now that we know the strategies and techniques that we can now support her with are just really really clear and also the kinds of roles that she can be doing in her life and I talked about me at 46 you know I'm going through the menopause. I am in a new chapter and phase of my life. I know myself really well. So that brings with it a degree of real power in the same way that she's got a diagnosis. It's taken me to this time to understand all of those things about myself. And so therefore I know my strengths. I also know my vulnerabilities and I'm really clear that I focus on my strengths as my superpowers, right? Those are my vulnerabilities, right? And in the sports world, we kind of don't really concentrate on those that much. We concentrate on the things that we've got going for us. You know, that, um, you know, Gailey Thompson, I'm showing my age, but, you know, Olympic champ all those years ago, he didn't concentrate on his weaker events. In the yeah. He concentrate yeah. on, concentrated on his stronger events. And that's what I do with my clients. I talk to them about their, their superpowers. And let's now get on with the, the work taking those superpowers and and amping them up as much as possible and I'm an accountability partner for them they're a part we work together and what I talk to them about all the time is that I'm on their sports team and we are team members and I am and even though I'm the captain my job is interdependent on theirs yes so there's this you know this symbiotic relationship and we are going to now create a plan and I'm going to hold you to account to that professional and personal development plan and it's in the doing of the action because I get them to move to action really quickly it's in the doing Mm. their confidence grows and that's what my job is about it's about enabling them to see that it's in the doing and and therefore they 
miraculous things happen, you know, and, and I don't believe in mentoring and coaching without sponsorship. So I, you, and I, especially within the black and brown community, we don't have those networks out there like our white counterparts. So I'm often doing lots of connections, lots of introductions and things that I, if I, there is somebody in my network that can help them, that's what I'm doing. I'm sponsoring them. I'm opening up those doors. Mm-hmm. So it's more than just, you know, it's, it's actually, we are a member of this sports team together yeah. for a period of time. You've got some, we've come up with your goals and we're going to work towards them as quickly as possible um, with the most amount of power as possible and amping up and working on their strengths as their superpowers. The end. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, it's not very traditional. Like it's you know, these this is Michelle Moore, more of you methodologies, you know. And somebody said to me, well, well, have you got the coaching methodology of asking loads of questions so that they can come up with their answers? And I'm like, well, to be perfectly frank, this is my style and yes. it's really successful. And that that's the whole thing. I think coaching and mentoring is figuring out what you're good at yeah. and then doing more of it. And and I'm really clear, I fully disclose what I'm like. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. But at the same time, I know I'm a lot of people's cup of tea. And You're my, my cup of tea. They're my, they're my people. So then yeah. let's do this, you know. Yeah. So so it's really like really understanding who you are within that. I'm so impatient for people's change, yeah. for people's growth, for, for people's development. And if there's something that I can do, and often the smallest thing, Tamu, can have the biggest impact. And I've mm-hmm. seen it with the women and the women of colour that I've mentored over the years. The mm-hmm. smallest thing. You know, I've got influence. I, I understand I have influence because I've got to a particular place in my life where I'm invited to events. I, I sit on all party parliamentary groups. I go and present at different, very prestigious places. And I bring my women with me. I bring mm-hmm. people with me. Mm-hmm. I open up those doors because I, we're all in this together. Muhammad Ali, me, we. So I, I see that as really, really important that we understand our place within this and that that it's all a part, we're all a part of that collective experience. Oh, damn. Like, li- literally just yesterday, I was talking on um, Instagram about outsourcing the things that we can actually do for ourselves. Not in a, I'm independent, I'm going to make myself an island, but there is, I, I can't think of anybody that I've worked with so far whereby the turning point in them being able to take action um, has been from actually looking at what they avoid and Mm. finding the strengths, not hanging around in there, like, again, a nature reference. When you do that work where you look back to see the genesis of the things that are holding you back now or are dominating the present, so the past that's dominating the present, my philosophy is that when you start digging around with the roots you can do it just enough to shore them up give them the nourishment so that that tree can continue to flourish when you spend all your time digging around those roots you are going to um over exploit the soil you're going to uplift the roots so they've got nothing to hold on to and then that tree is going to fall over because you're just spending all your time digging around the roots and you're not paying attention to what can emerge from there but i have 
that has been a real changing point when I've guided women to actually have a look at these things that they say are holding them back. I'm a social worker, you know, fundamentally. When you were talking about being a generalist, it reminded me of social work. And what I know to be true is that when you dig back in there, if you can find strength and then you can use that as a strength-based model to build yourself um, forward. Um, so you are speaking my language and all that stuff about not being for everybody. If you're for everybody, I don't think you're being true to yourself. So, um, speaking about strength and, uh, alchemizing that strength into power, Mm -hmm. uh, on your website, you talk about power to rise in spite of challenges. What does this look like? in your experience and disclaimer I'm asking this because of my observation of people being stuck in this what I would refer to as a cycle of victimhood that prevents them from remembering I guess it's like what you were talking about we we all we're all leaders that prevents them from remembering their leadership qualities yeah, I think, you know, it's a, a really interesting conversation around kind of, you know, when we are stuck, what is it that we're going to do to get ourselves out of those places? And I think when we experience resistance, if we understand where that comes from, and it's just a part of the process. So it's a part of the process of me learning something new. It's a part of the process of me trying to achieve what I want to achieve. That when it actually comes up, we're able to just oh, there it is, you know, we're able to just label it. Oh, you know, I expected you, you're you're here. That's Mm -hmm. cool. I expect that to happen. Um, And now I'm going to move to to this next part of it. And so there's something about understanding that we can also use the context, you know, exactly what you were talking about just there, Tommy, the context of our experiences of those difficult times as our jumping off point, as the point of what makes us unique and who we are, but also as the context of, of, of moving to our strength of the typical kind of, you know, David and Goliath story that we're using that power to enable us, to fuel us, to kind of get to a higher levels. And I think reframing how we see loss and resistance when it shows up is what's critically important. And that's what kind of sport t- tells you all of the time. It's like, you know, um, what Oprah talks about a lot, you know, I have uh, lots of references to Oprah, Maya, Michelle Obama, all every time I speak. So mm-hmm. there are no apologies for that, even if I then welcome quote them a, a number of times. <laughs> she says that failure is just that thing trying to move you in another direction. You know, you get as much from your losses as you do from your victories. So when we think about that, when we understand that we're in this cycle that our job is when we're overwhelmed is just literally just to get still and go from that one point, that mm-hmm. one action to the next and so not to get overwhelmed with the massive big picture, but to kind of just move from one thing to the next. Mm-hmm. And I think when we find ourselves in that cycle, there's something about understanding resistance, but there's also something about surrender, you know, and I, I think you'll, you'll have lots to say around this in terms of, you know, I'd, I'd bow to your, your, your knowledge around your social work background, but you know, it's something I talk to my clients a lot about and to my family and my friends is like, we can do what we can do the best we can with the resources that we've got. And I was mm-hmm. talking to one of my clients this morning about that. And 
we have to surrender to the outcome of it you know um, and I often use an example a very simple example of going for a job interview uh, a good few years ago now I can't control whether or not those people like me I can't control whether or not I'm going to get that gig but what I can control is how I show up um, what I say and and the energy that I bring and I this job was um it was very senior actually it's for a board role and it was all around my passions of sport and equity and inclusion and I just spoke from my truth and I, I did it in a way where I did detach myself and said right whoever you give this role to they need to do x y and z we need to use the diversity of these athletes to do this we need and I was just really crystal clear and the energy that I brought to it was where my passions and my purpose met and they aligned and that energy is contagious that energy mm. is fearsome it's powerful and it showed them also that I was saying I need to be in an organization that respects and values and sees this energy and understands it and wants to harness it and I kind of got that across in a nice way humbly showing off and I was when I walked out of there it was neither here nor there whether I got that job because that role because what I was proud of is how I'd come across and yeah. so it was like I'd done myself justice whatever happens now happens and obviously I got the role. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> because they knew the power that I, you know, yeah. that I, and they felt that energy. So I think there's something about surrendering to whatever that outcome is. We do yeah. what we can with the resources that we've got at that time. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that doing what you can with the resources you have at that time, it creates spaciousness. So quite often I've got people... I had a coaching session with somebody and she wanted to bring something to the session and she was really dancing around this issue. And it's something that she's held over herself as a beating stick for years. And when she shared it with me, and again, I am who I am, so I'm, I'm not for everybody and that's fine. When she brought it, it fell out of my mouth. Granted, I, I knew that I could allow that to fall out of my mouth because of the relationship I have with this woman outside of coaching. She said, this, that, this, that, this. I said, so what? Literally, her shoulders went down and she leaned back into the chair. I said, so what? I said, you did the best you could with the information and the tools you had at that time. So what? I was like, that person doesn't even exist anymore. Like, you, even yesterday's version of you doesn't exist anymore. And she just said, thank you so much. Mm. The yeah. amount of times we are, mm. we are, actually, funny story. I, when I used to go for job interviews, I would do this thing where I would walk, I would walk in like the job was already mine. It was fine. The job's already mine. I, I think I've, I've had lots of job interviews because I spent a long time as a social worker as a locum. So pretty much every year, nine months, I was interviewing for a new role. Um, but prior to that, before I became a social worker, two things. I went for a job with a housing association. It was something to do with customer service, like dealing with um, phone calls that were coming in and they get a high level of complaints. And so I did my thing in the interview. I was fine. And I didn't get the job. The reason I didn't get the job, the guy, one, it was three people that interviewed me. The man that interviewed me said that he thought I was too philosophical about how I would deal with um, the, like the, the volume of complaints that come in. And at that time, it was like 
2001 or something. I didn't really know what philosophical was. Yes, I'd read The Alchemist and Celestine Prophecies and things like that, but I didn't know what it was. But it was like, literally, I was just saying that I know that the person's complaint isn't, isn't anything to do with me. I'm just mm. here to listen yeah. to what they have to say and direct it. And he just couldn't believe that it was possible. Maybe it's because I was, um, how old was I in 2001? I was 24. Maybe it's because I was 24 and he just didn't believe that I had the capacity for that. So, mm. that. so that was one. And then the other one, I went for an interview at Foot Locker and it was to be um, like an assistant to a VP of something or the other. And again, I walked in like the job is mine, it's fine, whatever. And um, it was via recruitment agency. The recruitment agency was down the road from the office. So I walked there, it was about 10 minutes. And I walked in the door and they said, Tammy, what have you done? I said, what? And they said, they just thought that you were too, these were the words, they just thought you were too grand for the role. <laughs> And so in those two instances, and, and maybe there was one other time that I didn't get a job, but I can't remember, but I cannot really remember any other time that I haven't got a job. It didn't mean that I walked into a interview not thinking that the job was mine and mm. like, I'm, I'm just here to get my job. Mm. But I was like, it was a, it was a, it was a blessing because if I had gone in there, they just would have been trying to squeeze me. And, mm. um, I, I, I can be like water when you try to push me down then it's a tsunami so there's like it was it was, it well, was you were too conscious favor. you were too involved for them Tammy you, that's it you know that's the one that's the one they weren't already they weren't at your level thank you <laughs> listen Michelle it's funny like I can spot my people really quickly it's just something and when you popped up on my instagram radar i was like oh sh she's one of mine i didn't know how it would uh, <laughs> manifest itself but um yeah anyway before i keep jumping around and just yep. um going off piste i actually want to diversity inclusion is a big part of what you do and uh, something else i heard you this might have been on the news no, this one wasn't on the news. I'll come back to Michelle on Channel 4 News. This was something else where you were talking about, you were on a panel, on a big panel in a big room with loads of people. And you were emphatically talking about diversity and inclusion. Uh, you were basically talking about it not being lip service. That, that, uh, that's it. Diversity and inclusion is lip service if people have no power. Um, so when you were talking, what I was hearing about was a redistribution of power and a word that I think you've said twice so far in this conversation, you talked about equity. That word for me is all important. People often talk about equality. And for me, equity is the precursor of equality. Mm. Because if I, I use this analogy all the time, if I was to give everybody I walk past in the street 50 pounds saying, oh, I'm treating everybody equally, I'm giving mm. them 50 pounds, not everybody would have 50 pounds. Some people would have a million and 50 pounds. Some mm. people will have minus, minus, minus 50 pounds because of the position they're in. Yeah, yeah. What, what is it like for you working in terms of the redistribution of power? And the reason I'm asking is because power is like an addictive drug. Mm. And addiction is something that people tend to 
being denied about they don't want to admit that they've got this issue yeah and then it's so addictive they don't want to let it go yeah what are some of the ways what are some of the tools how do you help people feel safe to let go of this addictive power well i think you know when we're thinking about i mean i don't even like the words diversity and inclusion tamu you know i'm i'm an anti-racist my second job was working for charlton athletic race equality partnership which was set up in direct response to the racist murders of Stephen lawrence roland adams and rohit degal and my job as a sports development coordinator was to run and develop community sport programs with an anti-racism lens to them and the work that i do now it you know broadly people kind of fit me into that diversity and inclusion space and i i, I find those terms are the terms that kind of make it okay for the system make it okay for them to talk about um, it in a safe way and so my job really within the sports world is mainly as an activist in terms of calling out injustice as and when I see it um, and I do that because I've re recognized that's a position that I can hold and because I'm asked to speak on panels moderate and chair discussions I do that in a way that is very cognizant of the power dynamic of white people at the top who run sports white men mainly mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, na I name call the racism whereas people are just talking about diversity inclusion I'm saying no we're talking about racism we're talking about xenophobia we're talking about homophobia we have to name and label the discrimination that's at hand and we have to look at the intersectional way in which that oppression operates and vitally as you talk about affects equity for all of our different uh, groups of pe people in society and so when I'm doing that that's really uncomfortable for some people, right? You know, that is challenging. Um, that means that I am not necessarily invited around the table when I could be. That mm -hmm. means that I am excluded. That means that I am labelled a troublemaker. Um, so I go from troublemaker on one hand to change maker on another and, and everything in between. I'm somebody who cares deeply about the world and wants to be known as that. Mm -hmm. When something is, is unfair, when there is injustice, that there is somebody asking the question. That there is somebody saying what's going to be done about this injustice and who's going to stand up and be counted around it and so it's difficult it's challenging at times and i know you know one of uh, uh, a great great work um uh, you know you've interviewed nova reed on this mm -hmm. podcast, and i've got a lot of admiration and respect for what nova does in whole and in, in working in an anti-racist way with lots of different people within the corporate world who need to address this the work that i do is is about calling it out and it's about using my position and, and influence to do that and that's based on on being a part of the system and understanding that the whole system needs to be dismantled right um and i've figured out my part to play within it is calling it out but then working with black and brown uh, and some white women who are very conscious um, uh, to to help support them to survive and thrive in that system that that's where my if you like my niche is that's where mm -hmm. my more of you leadership stuff has come out and the biggest most you know popular part of that is about how to navigate intersectional oppression for women um, I get called up the most often by women in very high profile positions in a crisis moment this man has just done this to me what mm. should i do um and so my job is about providing them with the strategies and the tools and the techniques and as somebody who has faced both intersectional racism and sexism and has been a victim of that i use 
the that, that resilience and that learning to kind of support others and so when you talk about power and i call out the 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 in a, the imbalance of it um and i shine a light on it what it does is it creates a space where people where those in power um find it very challenging and they are part of the problem because they're the part of the reason they're, they're creating these diversity and inclusion initiatives where, and they're a part of the problem so that mm. those initiatives never work um, they're never really committed to putting lots of money around it if they were looking at this like any other strategic business objective like sustainability they would allot a, a budget to it they would get in the external experts and they would get on with um with doing the work that's not that's not what happens what's happening no. in this country and so i decided that my best my bit is calling it out and then working with the victims of those that oppression to support them in their in their journey so thinking about that because we 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 live in like so i've said on a number of occasions we live in a world that is framed by underpinned by white supremacy all the people with power are white generally men people with money that they have the power and living in that paradigm we are living within a culture that calling out racism is dealt with and viewed as more of a problem than the racism itself. So I referred to you being on Channel 4 News um, and other places um, where you talked about racial inequity um, and where you talk passionately about things like racial inequity, you talk passionately about things like racial pay gap, gender pay gap. Um, the question, but I just, I'm going to stick a pin in the question. The question is going to be how you look after yourself. But I just want to refer to, as I was drafting talking points, I thought, let me just have a quick Google and see. So you shine a light, you call out uh, issues to do with discrimination, injustice, etc. What you talk about is based on fact. So I just did a very quick Google and I found an article on the Financial Times from July 2019, where it talked about large pay penalties for those of a black African, um, Pakistani and Bangladeshi background. So in 2019, whatever research the Financial Times was doing found that black African people got paid 7.7% lower than white British people in um, the same role. And uh, Pakistani and Bangladeshi people got paid 20% lower than white British people in the same roles. It was different from uh, people of a Chinese and Indian background tended to get paid higher. So we also need to be um, careful when we are putting all people of colour mm. under one umbrella mm. because we all experience things differently. Mm. Um, and it was saying almost all black and ethnic minority groups continue to face significant pay gaps compared with white workers said kathleen hennehan policy analyst, policy analyst at the Res resolution foundation which is a think tank and what's more these pay penalties hold even after accounting for workers qualifications experience and the type of jobs they have so that is factual that has been researched has been quantified so I just wanted to put into context the sort of things you're talking about. 
how do you look after yourself being somebody that's very visible talking about facts that get dismissed because people are more tuned in to them feeling uncomfortable with the facts you're sharing yeah i mean it can be a challenge i think there's just to come back at some some of that i mean i i believe that even though it even though some of the clients that i work with who are white ceos right who who find it very uncomfortable some of the white ceos to, to hear what I'm saying and calling out exactly the, 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 the stats that you're talking about and talk to them about that ethnic pay gap, about the gender pay gap. What are they doing about that? Um, really interestingly, I, I was working with a white, well, kind of in, tangentially working with this particular CEO and he wasn't that interested. I've seen him at a number of events. And then a year later, he then had this conversation with me was so much he was asking about issues to do with equity and inclusion and i was like this is odd and i said it's something what this is this is very different to what's happened kinds of conversations we've had before and it turns out he's got a brand new baby granddaughter who happens to be of mixed heritage wow so there is a once there's a personal connect people's attitude uh, and mindset can open up in all kinds of ways and the fact by that in the next 20 to 25 years one in five in this country will be from an ethnic diversity background mm -hmm. that shows you that that, that that things will gradually move because once people feel that they are personally impacted upon it something may shift in terms of some of their thinking i was working with one white ceo around some of this stuff and I was trying to get across the importance of ethnic and cultural diversity and they just wouldn't have it. And then a year later, they read an article by Angela D'Souza um, in her book, in, no, by Robin D'Angelo, sorry, in her book, um, uh, in her book, White Fragility. Um, and that talks about how white people receive the, this uh, the challenge and if they could just receive the challenge of it being feedback and uh, as a, like anything else then it would become it would be like revolutionary rather than mm. an attack that they see they're being personally called racist so that was just a quickly into in response to what oh, you were thank saying. you for sharing that was powerful but thank you in in the sense of um and, and that white woman who white conscious leader she came back to me and she apologized actually she said i'm a year later and having read this paper by a white academic i now understand what you were saying michelle so sometimes when we think our words are not having impact they can but mm. it takes a long time mm -hmm. so in terms of my you know my own well-being um i've had to understand who I am and what I'm about and the bit that I play within all of this, I don't try to do all of it. The mm -hmm. very beginning of my career, I tried to be the person that called it out, the person that gave consultancy to, to do the work, um, pick all the racism in people's heads. I, I, I don't do that now. So I'm really clear about the position that I play as an activist. I'm really clear about the bit that I play in terms of supporting people. And I understand that my self-care, as Audrey Lord talks about, is a, is kind of a part of my being and is a, is a political act in itself so my self-care is really very much around you know understanding when i have to say no i don't have to say no with a rationale i don't have to say no um because xyz i just say no and i do it nicely and politely and that's it i understand that i have to do that 
I understand that my mental physical health is of paramount importance to me. I just did it. It's really funny. I just did a post on Instagram. I'm, I'm injured at the moment. I've got a, a little bit of a back problem and I can't do much physically. And I'm very, I've done sport all my life. You know, I was an athlete to begin with. Now I'm a, uh, I was 400 meter runner in my younger days and now I'm a netball player and I can't play netball because of what's happening, but also I can't play netball. I can't even kind of go out and do anything, but I'm a believer in doing what you can, you know? Mm -hmm. So I took my net, I put my netball gear on. I went into my little garden and I literally passed the ball from one hand to the other. I passed it around my waist. She just did a little bit of ball familiarization and posted the video on Instagram. And everyone loved it. They're like, oh my <laughs> God, she looks Goals. And I'm like, read my post. The post is like, my heart has been heavy. This has been a difficult time for me, you know? Yeah. And I'm just showing up in the way that I can and doing what I can. I can yeah. just about move this ball around. And so for me, sport is really important. Being physically active gets me out of my head. It makes yeah. me distracted on that sport, on winning, on performing at my best, on, on being in the flow. And yeah. I have to be in those moments um, every day. And so it's um, important to me that I also... Uh, you know, understand the importance of nature. But during COVID-19, I have spent far too much money on plants. Oh I have found, I have found patch.com and I am buying, uh, my house is you like new, new furniture. They've all got a name and I'm watching my cheese plant, new leaves unfurl. Oh. I'm misting them. And the self-care that's involved in just getting out of your head and just being really focused on something like nature. So when you talk about plants i really kind of get connected with them my friends and family are a bit like i wonder how long this is going to last are you going to kill all of them but um i am i am really enjoying um being closer to to nature and and, and everything that goes with kind of understanding that we are a part of a, something bigger and that you know and that i'm not defined by the roles and the titles and and some of the awards i'm, I'm defined i'm you know i'm something of power and and beauty to give the world that is michelle moore that isn't that isn't just to do with my work i'm not defined by that you know although i'm very passionate about it and so all of those things that make up me mm -hmm. um as truthful as they are and as frail frail as some of those vulnerabilities are i embrace them and i i understand that my self-care is a part of the work you know i talk to my clients about that all the time it's not about whether or not you can squeeze it in yeah. you have to have your daily three practices that are a part of the work i have to wake up and i have to meditate i have to do some kind of form of exercise whether that's just gentle stretching and i have to do my prayer i have to do those things yeah that, that make me me and i have to yeah. do my gratitude journal at the end of the night if mm -hmm. i don't everything feels a little bit off yeah it goes off kilter uh, yeah so and it's our birthright man we have a right to feel good yeah yeah and we we're in charge of setting our boundaries you know we we're in charge of reclaiming all of that um so i i've developed something specifically for covid in response to covid19 because i'm very concerned about teachers so i developed a, a well-being and resilience coaching program for teachers and mm -hmm. it's just been incredible you know how supporting teachers to figure out their boundaries between their professional and personal lives when everything is done through the screen. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a real challenge. Um, as you were talking, uh, you know, I 
I, I know I say this every week, but I genuinely, I couldn't, I, I could just continue talking to you. It's been such a powerful conversation. And as you're talking, I'm reminded of a um, quote uh, by uh, Brene Brown. I'm just, I'm just going to read it out. And she says, midlife is when the universe gently places her hands upon your shoulders, pulls you close and whispers in your ear. I'm not screwing around. All of this pretending and performing, these coping mechanisms that you've developed to protect, to protect yourself from feeling inadequate and getting hurt has to go. Your armor is preventing you from growing into your gifts. I understand that you needed these protections when you were small. I understand that you believed your armor could help you secure all of the things you needed to feel worthy and lovable, but you're still searching and you're more lost than ever. Time is growing short. There are unexplored adventures ahead of you. You can't live the rest of your life worried about what other people think. You were born worthy of love and belonging. Courage and daring are coursing through your veins. You were made to live and love with your whole heart. It's time to show up and be seen. Michelle, you just sound like your life is a beautiful adventure. Tamu, you know that's a powerful quote that you've chosen to read out there and I just I think it, it does resonate on so many levels that we have to kind of just embrace the, the, the not so good and the great bits you know yeah. and COVID-19 and this time has taught me that I have to be in that space of of gratitude but I also have to be in that space of being you know I'm I'm being right now and because I you know we're going through I'm you know, we're going through some pain. And if we're black or brown, we're going through more pain than others. And so um, I, I thank you for saying it sounds like a beautiful adventure. At times, it's been really difficult over these last couple of months. And I'm really real. Like, like let's be clear, the, the world of social media can show up one side of somebody's life. So I'm, I'm, I'm good at trying to kind of expose all of it. And I think that we have to be in that space where we truly, what Brene Brown says there, truly accept who we are like mm. you know that stuff that has been holding us back when you're closer to 50 than you are 40 and 30 you're like there is no time like we've got to get on there's like there's like th th i'm on this kind of i need to get if this isn't of value to me and my people why am i doing it it doesn't feel right i'm, I'm not going to do it like i i i need to be placing my energy in the best places and if that means that some days I've got to just take some time out and check out for a while, that's what I'm going to do because that's what my body and my mind is telling me to do. So that when I come again, I'm coming again with real power mm. and with energy and, and conviction and, and, and courage. You know, it takes courage to show up in the world, vulnerable, uh, you know, powerful, yeah. all of those things and all of the contradictions of that takes real courage, but yeah. people need it, you know, it's contagious you know I always remember telling the story of when I won an award it was a great you know pivotal moment for me winning an award I'd won a couple before but I've never really owned it if I was really honest I run a um the precious network the precious award in 2016 for being an outstanding woman in sport I didn't expect to win it I was up against some international athletes I was like why would they give me an award I mean the work that I do is quite unseen and behind closed doors in a way and I won this award and it was just, I remember getting some, I was so surprised. I literally did the whole, I can't, I don't, the Oscar thing. No, I don't believe it could be me. 
really what I was coming for the free food and you know just having a good time <laughs> I was sat at the back there's no way and um, I got some advice on the night from somebody to say a previous winner own it own the success of this Michelle just make sure you talk about it because it has such an impact on others and I was like oh I'm not sure about that but anyway I, I decided to really step into that light and I remember, you know, Nelson Mandela's words and uh, based on Marianne Williamson's words, mm -hmm. Williamson's words about when you let your own light shine, you then give mm -hmm. unconsciously give permission to, for others, for their lights to shine. And I wrote an article about myself and I put it in the newspaper and it went everywhere. And I got so much love back. It was unbelievable. But there was this one moment where these two women were, didn't hear me in the corridors coming up and they were both talking about me winning this award and was saying oh yes yeah, so michelle moore was my mentor and she won that award Actually, and i went a lot up to them and the thing is i wasn't either of their mentors oh but because because i'd won this award they felt like they had won a bit of it as well yes and that was so it taught me such a powerful lesson about stepping into that light and there was me trying to be thinking about being quiet about it no you know i own my success and i know the importance of being it and seeing it and of that role modeling back in you know 20 odd years ago when i was an assistant head in a large secondary school the black and brown kids the girls particularly the mixed heritage girls would follow me around for no other reason for the fact that they looked like me mm. you know, that i looked like them they were mm -hmm. like look at this woman she's mm -hmm. in a position of power so mm -hmm. i understand the power of that and so standing in your light is just as important as embracing those times when, when things aren't going well and, and being the, the, you know, everything that you can in the world. My life is, is uh, always learning. My life is always giving me lessons and giving me signs. And I just move along with that flow. And I've had to accept that that's, sometimes that's tricky and sometimes that's, that's more, you know, is smoother. And, uh, and when you work for yourself, when you're self-employed, you have to kind of deal with the tensions that, which go with, that uncertainty but as long as I'm giving value and I feel as if I'm making a difference I know I'm on the right lines and you know Angela Davis her quote is at the, the basis of everything I, I do she says I'm no longer accepting the things I cannot change mm. I'm changing the things I cannot accept boom 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 well, Michelle I, I think this is like a, a, a beautiful end to a really powerful conversation. Thank you. Before we go, you talked about um, a program that you have for teachers. Do you have any other programs, anything you've got coming up, anything you do that could be of use to my listeners? Please do share. Yeah, so I, I have my coaching and mentoring that's available to, to your listeners and to your community of people. And you can go onto my website, www.michellemore.me mm -hmm. and go onto the coaching page and you can book yourself a slot into my calendar and we can have a powerful conversation. And my, my coaching for teachers is, is, is quite kind of really targeted through schools and working very closely with schools and local authorities. But people can reach out to me through my website and we can talk about the ways in which I can support them. 
you know, I did a, a talk just recently called Leadership in Times of Crisis for the Mayor's Office for the sport and physical activity sector. But it's actually been so, it's for all sectors, all industries. So I'm very happy to, to share that with some of your community as well, um, if, that, if that, you think that would be helpful. Yes, please. So, yeah, so I, I'm, my work is, uh, yeah, it's about coaching and mentoring and supporting people through this time in particular. Mm beautiful uh please do send me links for all of those I things will. and i'll make sure that they are in the um show notes michelle it has been absolutely stupendous <laughs> thank you so much for your time uh i i, I don't want to press stop but i i need to oh thank you so much it's been brilliant thanks tammy thanks for reaching out it's great i love the community of social media when we can do these kinds of you know exchanges and i'm you know, really, I said at the, at the top, you know, off, offline, how kind of super uh, grateful I am for the work that you do and how authentic it is and how it lands with me. So although I hadn't reached out to you, I was consuming all of your content um, avidly and, and especially those 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 moments of everyday joy that we can find from our plants right so i didn't know we had that what does everyday joy mean to you michelle it, exactly exactly that it's like those moments where i went down today and i saw my mrs cheese plant i call it really original <laughs> my cheese plant the the, 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 the leave had un, unfurled but you know it's those moments where you're you're just out and those small moments where somebody smiles at you or, or has a conversation with you and you're just reminded about that power of connection and so it, it's not it, it's not the big miraculous things it's the everyday small beautiful moments that you find yourself uh, a part of and so yeah my everyday joy is is those and being called auntie being called auntie is one of my favorite things and I'm a godmother I'm a sister I'm a twin I'm a niece but you know any of those words but auntie is one of my favorite words so yeah isn't so, auntieing so. like the best it is I love it because you can give the children back <laughs> and you get to do all the cool things and you can all the cool a little bit things. around some of the boundaries so I'm a godmother of I don't know how many young people um so yeah I'm, I'm kind of known as a cool auntie and I, yeah. I, I quite like that title yeah, I, I, I really enjoy uh, being an aunt. It really winds my brother up. I've got a nephew who's three. His birthday's the day after mine. And um, if he's done something he knows he shouldn't have, or if he's been told off for something, he will always come and find me because he, he's, he's going to be four soon, but he knows I've got his back. It doesn't matter what he's done. You cannot talk to my little booms any kind of way. He is a small child on an adventure. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't mean it. He was exploring. So I always tell him, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what Auntie Tam has got you. So from Auntie Tam to auntie michelle thank you so very much real pleasure real pleasure thank you for listening to 360 conversations i appreciate you sharing your precious time with my guest and i i hope you found the episode useful i'd be so grateful if you could rate and review my podcast like an increasing number of our digital experiences the algorithms rule your feedback will assist me reaching a wider audience and I'd really love to have more women being privy to or joining these conversations. The feedback I get following each episode is beautiful and tells me more women could benefit. As always, I'd love to keep the conversation going. 
you can join me by commenting on the podcast show notes on my website or via social media at Live360. I hope to engage with you soon. Podcast produced by me, Tammy Thomas. Podcast music produced by James Anderson. Take care.